One of my favorite quotes by the writer of Amazing Grace, uh, John Newton, um, is a quote he wrote on prayer. He said, Thou art coming to a king, large petitions with thee bring, for his grace and power are such that none can never ask too much. And uh, so we're going to go to our king right now, and we're going to ask him to do big things in our lives and in our hearts. So let's pray. Father, I pray that you would speak this morning and that you would renew our minds. How can a mind be made new? By the word that can bring life from the dead. By your word that can spin galaxies into existence. By your word that can become flesh and dwell among us. And by your word that has given us a book. Father, we believe that your words have the power, not the voice of any preacher or teacher. Surely not my voice. And so I ask that you would do a mighty work through your word this morning. And that you would stir our hearts to want to know you. In our passage, Pharaoh has a huge problem. He does not know Yahweh. And he is judged for it. But Israel has a problem as well. They don't know you. And they desperately need you. And you are a God who desires to be known for who you are and for what you've done. We ask you to come, Lord, and stir our hearts with a longing to know you more. To know you is to live. So be among us, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, if you have a Bible in front of you, a pew Bible or one of your own um, Bibles or your phone, I encourage you to follow along. We try to stick as closely as we can to the, to the verses, and, and uh, yeah, I'll also be reading them for us. So uh, turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 5, and we're going to be looking at chapter 5 all the way up um, through chapter 6, verse 27. Now that's a little different than what we've got written on the board and um, in the bulletin, I had 713, but as I started working through the passage, I felt like um, the last part of those verses fits a little better with what's ha- going to come next week than, um, than what's this week. So I tweaked the, uh, the, the section that we're going to be uh, covering a little bit. So Exodus chapter 5 up to verse 27 of chapter 6. But before we dig into these verses, I just want to give a a brief recap of where we've been so far. So up to this point, uh, God's people, the nation of Israel, they've been in slavery in Egypt under a terrible regime. The regime of Pharaoh, of the Pharaohs, because this is over a period of quite a few years. And the Pharaohs worked them ruthlessly. What's worse, Israel has been subject to draconian policies of infanticide for all their male babies. Pharaoh is fearful that Israel is getting too strong as a nation and that they might be able to hurt Egypt somehow. And so in God, or so Pharaoh has made a rule that all their babies be cast into the Nile. And it's in this context, in the midst of their suffering, that Israel cries out. And God has heard their cry. And we learned about last week how God called Moses in chapter 3 and chapter 4 
to go and set the people of Israel free, to lead a new, to lead an exodus out of slavery for God's people. Moses was called in the desert, and we also learned how Moses' initial plea to Pharaoh was going to be answered. If you've got your Bible open, God, God gives us a trailer of how things are going to go, like a, a preview. Exodus chapter 4, verse 21. Yahweh said to Moses, When you return to Egypt, see that you perform before Pharaoh all the wonders I have given you the power to do. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. So, you're going to this evil, wicked Pharaoh who's already got a hard heart. We know that because we've read about it. Um, he's he's a, a wicked king. And God's going to harden his heart so that Pharaoh doesn't let the people go until Pharaoh learns his lesson. Until Pharaoh learns who Yahweh really is. Because if Pharaoh said, oh yeah, sure, you could go. Yeah, see ya. He would never have learned who the real God was. You see, Pharaoh in ancient Egypt thought he was a god. And the Egyptians thought he was a god, little g-god. And they worshipped the Pharaoh. And the Pharaoh thought he had power to bring life and health to his people. And all other sorts of things that um, only God could be and do. And the firstborn son of the Pharaoh. What's the firstborn son of a god? A god. So... There was this whole idea, and that this is actually present in our world today in a state like North Korea, right? Where they worship um, the, you know, Kim Jong-un and, and the, that family, they worship them as gods. And that's exactly what we see in Egypt. And so God is going to harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will not let the people go until he's learned thoroughly who Yahweh is. So, again, Exodus 4, we already know how things are going to go in Exodus 5. So here's our outline for this morning's message. In these chapters 5 and 6, we're going to see four things. And I've used a little bit of alliteration here, uh, the letter P. We're going to see uh, Moses and Aaron's plea, plea to the, to, to the Pharaoh in chapter 5, verse 1 to 3. We're going to see Israel's problem. In 5, verse 4 to 23, we're going to see God's promise in chapter 6, verses 1 to 12, and Moses and Aaron's pedigree, uh, their, their genealogy, where they come from. What are their credentials in chapter 6, verses 13 to 27? So the, the plea, the problem, the promise, and their pedigree. So, we'll... And if you're like, man, he was working hard for some alliteration. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking about it. <laughs> maybe it's not helpful, but maybe you'll remember it, right? That's the point of it. All right, so let's start with chapter 5, verses 1 to 3. I'll read them for us. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh, and they said, This is what Yahweh, the God of Israel, says. Now, just pause for a second. In, in your English translations, um, when it's all capital, L-O-R-D, that's the English translation for the Hebrew word Yahweh, God's special name. And so I'll most often be saying Yahweh when it's actually saying Yahweh, just because that kind of brings the significance of God's name that's not known in this story by Pharaoh. That's, that's going to kind of help us see the significance of it. So you might be reading and you say, why does he keep saying Yahweh when it says Lord? Well, that's why. If it's all caps, I'm going to say Yahweh most of the time here. So 
This is what Yahweh, the God of Israel, says. Let my people go so that they may hold a festival to me in the wilderness. And Pharaoh says, who is Yahweh that I should obey him and let the Israelites go? I do not know Yahweh and I will not let Israel go. Then they said, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Now let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to Yahweh our God or he may strike us with plagues. Or with the sword. Now notice a few things about these verses, right? Um, First, uh, Moses and Aaron give their plea or their request to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And even though I called it a plea for the sake of alliteration, right? It's, it's, It's kind of a request, but it's really not. I mean, it's a command. Notice that. Listen to the nerve of it. Our God, Yahweh, says, let Israel go. So, yeah, let us go. And Pharaoh says, um, who is this Yahweh? Who, I don't know him. Let us have three days off from work, Pharaoh. You must. To go into the desert and worship Yahweh. Again, like I said, the Egyptians, they thought that their king, the Pharaoh, he was a god. The most powerful king in all the world. So, His response shouldn't surprise us. (laughs) This Yahweh that I've never heard of is challenging me, the God of Egypt, and the king of all the visible world that I know of anyway. He's telling me to let my slaves go on a three-day holiday to worship him? Like, who does this Yahweh guy think he is? Does you know who you're talking to? I do not know Yahweh, and I will not let Israel go. Let those words sink in. They're so important. Pharaoh will not obey Yahweh because he does not know Yahweh. That's ultimately the problem that lurks behind all human disobedience to the Lord's commands, both then and now. We don't really know the Lord if we really know the Lord, if we really knew deep down and felt in the core of our being who the Lord was, we'd never doubt His wisdom, His goodness, His kindness, His power, and His purity. If we really knew deep down in our hearts that obedience to His words was the path of life, we would never walk contrary to them. But that's what sin is at its very core. Sin, evil, suppresses the knowledge about God, the Creator, on display around us in all creation. And sin chooses to believe lies instead. Sin chooses to listen to other words and even our own words and thoughts and opinions instead of the word of the Lord. That was Israel's problem all throughout their history. The problem that the Israelite prophets called them out for again and again and again. Come, let us press on to know the Lord. We've got to know God. You don't know the Lord. That's your problem. If you truly knew the Lord, Pharaoh, if you truly knew the Lord, Israel, you would not disobey. And so when I hear Pharaoh say here, who is Yahweh? It's like, I can't help thinking, buckle up, buddy. You're about to find out. The Exodus story reminds me a little bit of one of my favorite scenes in a recent 
uh, superhero movie. I, I like the Marvel series. And in the latest, sorry if this is above, you know, if none of you have seen the movie, but in the, one of the most recent Avengers movies, there's one of my favorite scenes when the superhero Hulk smash meets up with uh, the villain in the movie, who's this mythical god named Loki. And uh, Loki, this mythical god, says to this big green monster Hulk, Smash, he says, um, You are all beneath me. I am a god, you dull creature. And I will not be bullied by... And Hulk cuts him off and just grabs him by the feet and just goes, Smash, 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 smash. And wham! And literally embeds this Loki guy in the concrete of this building. And he's laying there and, and he just... He, he's groaning oh, as Hulk walks away and goes, puny God. It's just a hilarious scene. And I, I will not be bullied by And then he just gets smashed about and Hulk walks away going, puny God. Now, my goal is not to compare Hulk smash to Yahweh, the living God of the Bible. My goal is to show what it looks like when, okay, a, a, a puny so-called God meets raw power face to face. Pharaoh, the puny god of Exodus, is about to get his lesson. Well, he's going to learn his lesson. But here in this passage, he literally, you know, the, the idea of you like you throw the gauntlet down. It's a challenge, you know, taking the gloves off. He literally takes the gloves off and throws them in Yahweh's face. It says, Who are you? Right? Bad move. Before we move on, though, from these verses, I want to point out one last thing that we see in verse 3. Moses and Aaron, they tell Pharaoh, No, but do, please do let us go worship God. Otherwise, he himself might punish us for disobeying him, for not obeying him. So not only is Pharaoh disobeying God himself, but he's actually getting in the way of Israel disobeying and obeying the Lord. He's keeping Israel from doing what their God is commanding them to do. And one thing is clear from this verse. The God of Israel, Yahweh, he does not play favorites. He takes all disobedience seriously. And so Moses and Aaron's words to Pharaoh, they really should, if Pharaoh was really thinking, they should serve as a very serious warning to Pharaoh. If the Lord of Israel might actually punish his own people for disobeying him, how much more might he punish Pharaoh for hindering the worship of the one true God? But again, Pharaoh's heart is hardened. Remember the purpose? It's so Pharaoh would have his own claims to Godhood completely shattered. So that he would come to know who the true God is. And so that Israel as a nation might know that only Yahweh saves. Buckle up and prepare to meet God, Pharaoh, right? We're going to be looking at that next week. But first, we see that Israel's slavery problem, it's about to get really, really bad. Things get worse before they get better. I want you to imagine with me if tomorrow, over at Telescope Custom Furniture, right? Over at Telescope, uh, I want you to imagine that the managers come in and call a big meeting for all their employees from all their shifts, right? And everybody's there for this big meeting. And they started off by saying, lazy. You're all just lazy. From now on, we're canceling all deliveries of wood to Telescope. 
You have to get your own wood. We're not going to pay you any more. And your quotas have to say the same. Your monthly quotas. But we expect you to find your own wood. We're no longer contracting with loggers. Okay? What would that ha- what, I mean, what would happen? Like everybody would become a logger overnight, right? Tractor supply, they're going to be out of chainsaws. Everybody in Granville's going to be, I mean, you better protect your trees in your front yard, right? <laughs> Set up security. The Granville won't have any more trees. Everybody's going to be cutting trees in their backyards. They'll start with the yards, and then the mountains around Granville are going to start losing their trees in the middle of the night. They'll hear chainsaws. Everybody's going to scatter, and they're going to try to go as close as they can to home to find wood so they can keep their jobs, keep their quotas, be no more trees in town, right? That silly scenario is a little bit like what Pharaoh did to Israel. Let's look now at the second part of this morning's message, Israel's problem. Verses 4 to 23. I'm just going to read this whole section for us. But the king of Egypt said, Moses and Aaron, why are you taking the people away from their labor? Get back to your work. Then Pharaoh said, look, The people of the land are now numerous, and you are stopping them from working. So I kind of wonder if maybe like Israel had like paused and waited, like they didn't show up to work that day. It seems like like Moses and Aaron are going to get the king to give us a holiday, like in the desert to worship God. So everybody stay home while they go ask. It seems like it because Pharaoh's ticked off. He's like, "You're stopping them from working." That same day, Pharaoh gave this order to the slave drivers and overseers in charge of the people. Verse 7. You are no longer to supply the people with straw for making bricks. Let them go and gather their own straw, but require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota. They are lazy. That is why they are crying out, Let us go and sacrifice to our God. Make the work harder for the people so that they keep working and pay no attention to lies. Then the slave drivers and the overseers went out and said to the people, This is what Pharaoh says, I will not give you any more straw. Go and get your own straw wherever you can find it, but your work will not be reduced at all. So the people scattered over all Egypt to gather stubble to be used for straw. The slave drivers kept pressing them, saying, Complete the work required you for each day, just as when you had straw. And Pharaoh's slave drivers... They beat the Israelite overseers they had appointed, demanding, Why haven't you met your quota of bricks yesterday or today as before? Then the Israelite overseers went and appealed to Pharaoh. Why have you treated your servants this way? Your servants are given no straw, yet we're told, Make bricks. Your servants are being beaten, but the fault is with your own people. And Pharaoh said, verse 17, Lazy. That's what you are. Lazy. That is why you keep saying, let us go sacrifice to Yahweh. Now get to work. You will not be given any straw, yet you must produce your full quota of bricks. The Israelite overseers realized they were in trouble when they were told, you are not to reduce the number of bricks required of you for each day. When they left Pharaoh, they found Moses and Aaron waiting to meet them. And they said, may Yahweh look on you and judge you. You have made us obnoxious to Pharaoh and his officials and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. So as you look at these verses, 
You hear these verses read, things are not looking very good for the people of Israel, are they? But we know something. We know something. This is not going to last forever. God will deliver his people. But right now, in the midst of their suffering, they are furious at Moses and at Aaron. Things were bad before, but now things are miserable. And they say, may Yahweh judge you. Because whatever you said to Pharaoh, now he wants to work us into our grave. It's your fault, Moses and Aaron. And so they return to God, Moses and Aaron, licking their wounds and asking questions. Or maybe more accurately, pointing their fingers at God. Look at verses 22 and 23. Moses returned to the Lord and he said, Why, Lord, why have you brought trouble on this people? Is this why you sent me? Right? Hear that? It's your fault, God. Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has brought trouble on this people, and you have not rescued your people at all. You can just hear their frustration in those words. Even though God told them Pharaoh is going to harden his heart, they, they should know that this isn't the last word, God's last word here. But they're frustrated. God, we're doing what you said, right? We're obeying you. We told Pharaoh your name, and all that got us was more trouble for Israel. And yet, I feel like we can talk to the Lord the same way when we're not thrilled with the visible results of our obedience to the Lord. You might say, God, I tried to tell someone I love a hard truth, and it just blew up in my face. Or, God, I tried my best to honor you at work and do my absolute best at my job. And the people there, they just hate me even more. God, I poured out my life in service to my family today, and they don't seem to appreciate it. After all I've done for you, right? God, I've prayed and prayed and prayed about this situation, casting my cares on you just like you told me to. And I'm still feeling anxious. And nothing has changed. In fact, things have gotten worse, right? So we can feel the same way, I feel like. And the danger that always lurks on the other side of a moment of obedience to the Lord, right after we obey the Lord in something, honor Him, the danger that always lurks there is the temptation to take our eyes off of God's promises and place our eyes on the visible results of our obedience. And if we don't see visible results yet, we start to doubt. And in verses 22 to 23, it seems Moses and Aaron, they've lost sight of the promises of God as they focus on the result of their words to Pharaoh. And so in chapter 6, verses 1 to 12, God shows up again and he reminds them of who he is and of his promises. So that's the third point this morning. God's promises. I'll start by reading verse 1 for us here. Then Yahweh said to Moses, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of his country. In other words, Moses, Pharaoh will let Israel go. 
And not just for three days either, like the initial request. He's going to drive them out of his country. Moses, when I am finished with Pharaoh, he will be so eager to get them out, he will command them to leave. Why? Because of my mighty hand. God even says it twice there in verse 1 for a fact. Let's not let the visible results of our obedience to the Lord make us doubt his mighty hand and his power. We're there so often, I know I am, struggling to believe that God will act. He will really act for me if I wait for him. We lose sight of his might in our discouragement. And we do forget who he is. Just like Moses, when our doubts arise, we have to be reminded of the promises of God. And we need to be reminded that God is mighty enough to keep the promises that he makes. We've got to be reminded of who he is just as much as we need to be reminded of what he has promised. And that's because God's character, who he is, guarantees his promises to us. And that's exactly what we see again in verses 2 to 5. God also says to Moses, here he's going to say, this is who I am. I'm mighty, and this is who I am. I am Yahweh. I appeared, verse 3, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, El Shaddai. But by my name, Yahweh, I did not make myself fully known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, where they resided as foreigners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites, whom the Egyptians are enslaving, and I have remembered my covenant. So God's saying, listen, Moses, I am Yahweh. I am the same God who appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, your ancestors long ago. I swore to them a covenant. When I appeared to Abraham, when God appeared to Abraham in Genesis 17 verse 1, and to Jacob in Genesis 35 verse 11, he introduced himself as God Almighty, as El Shaddai. You think of all the gods Abraham was experiencing in the pagan nations. And God says, guess what? I am the Almighty One. I am the God that has all the power. The Almighty God, Abraham. And now, he's saying to Moses, I'm telling you my personal name. I'm Yahweh. I'm, but I am still the Almighty God. The God of all gods. I'm still the almighty God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'm the same God who swore to be in covenant relationship with them 500 years before. Do you doubt my power, Moses, Aaron? God's saying, you're facing a puny God. I am the almighty God, and my name is Yahweh. That's who I am. And this is very personal, For God, he has a covenant to uphold, a covenant, a promise to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. So then God gives a list of promises that he made, of promises that flow from his covenant. And these are the promises that Moses is supposed to trust and believe in the Israelites as well in verses 6 to 8. 
Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am Yahweh, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will, then you will know that I am Yahweh. Your God, who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. And I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am Yahweh. Notice all the promises packed into those verses. One, I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. Two, I will free you from slavery. Three, I will redeem you with my mighty arm and with judgment on their evil. Four, I will take you as my own and I will be yours. You will be mine and I will be your God. Five, I will bring you to the land I swore to Abraham. Like this is personal. I swore it. My word is at stake. I'm going to make good on my promises. Six, I will give it to you. I am Yahweh. And look now at verse seven then you will know something that Pharaoh should know, but doesn't. You will know something that, like the Egyptians, you don't know yet, Israel. You will know that I am Yahweh, your God. In other words, the goal of their redemption, their rescue from slavery, the goal of their freedom, their salvation from slavery in Egypt, is that they will be a people who know Yahweh, who know the Lord. That's what they were made for. That's what they were saved for. They were saved to know the Lord. And at the end of this story, everybody is going to know who Yahweh is. But only the Israelites will know him as a savior. Pharaoh, he will know and experience Yahweh as the judge of all the earth. And the difference between Israel's experience of getting to know Yahweh and the Egyptians' experience of getting to know Yahweh, it's, the difference is not because Israel is more deserving of salvation than the Egyptians. No, the difference is the unearned and gracious promises that God made to Abraham so many years before. The difference is that God has chosen to use Israel to show All the nations, not just Egypt, his might and his power. Longing for the day when all nations everywhere will know the Lord. And that the the day where, we'll look at it later, but the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will fill the earth as waters cover the sea. That is God's ultimate aim in the Exodus. He is a God who wishes to be known Let's look now at verse 9. Moses reported this to the Israelites, but they did not listen to him because of their discouragement and harsh labor. They didn't listen to him because they were discouraged. Let that sink in for a minute. Discouragement. I don't know of anything more than discouragement in my own life that can drown out the voice of God. They heard these amazing words from the Lord, but they did not listen. In their pain, their suffering, they were too discouraged to even care. Have you ever been in a situation where you were so discouraged 
frustrated, maybe even depressed or anxious, and you were so, just, so down that God's promises, when you heard them in the Bible or when somebody said them to you, they sounded hollow, maybe cliche. You're not alone. Maybe you feel that way right now about God's words. And I think in these moments, there's at least two things that this passage can teach us. First, no matter how we might feel about God's promises, and no matter how cliche they might sound when our hearts are hurting, it doesn't make them any less true. They'll always be there. They don't go away. No matter how up and down our hearts might feel in the meantime, they're always there. Jesus Christ, as the writer of Hebrews says, he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. His promises do not change. And the second thing is that the God who makes promises to us the God whose promises don't go away, no matter how we, how we feel. He is a God who wants to be known by us. In our suffering, in our discouragement, in our frustration, he calls through the pain. He calls through the darkness of despair, and he says, I am here. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I am who I am. I am the God who will be with you. Know me. For I wish to be known by you. So God is the God who meets Israel, regardless of how they feel right now, with his unchanging promises and his unchanging character. And now let's look at chapter 6 again, verses 10 and 11. And we'll see God's response to Israel's unbelief and despair. He acts Despite their discouragement, the Lord Yahweh said to Moses, Go tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the Israelites go out of his country. So God rolls up his sleeves and says, Moses, it's go time. Round two. Go command Pharaoh once again, let my people go. Now look at Moses' response in verse 12. But Moses said to Yahweh, If the Israelites will not listen to me, why would Pharaoh listen to me, since I speak with faltering lips? Uh-oh. We've seen that before. Back in chapter 3 and 4 last week, they've already been through all this. And yet, Moses is really discouraged now, and he's blaming it on his lips. He's doubting God's power, right? But he's, his, his smokescreen is... God, my lips. I just, I can't talk good. It's my fault, maybe, that Israelites aren't listening to me and that Pharaoh didn't listen to me. Moses is backing out of the deal again. And we've got to look forward to see what, what, what's the conclusion, what's going to happen. And instead, in verse 13, you look down there and there's a commercial break. You ever noticed in a television show where they, they slip commercials in right at like the exciting moments? Why do they do that? It's so you'll watch through the commercials and see all the ads that people are paying for so that you won't, because you, you don't want to miss 
what's coming. So it's almost like as Moses is writing this story here, he stops with this like, Moses just said no to God. Like, who does he think he is? Commercial break. I'll tell you who he is. And then Moses unpacks he and Aaron's pedigree in verses 13 to 27. I'm not going to look at all these verses for you. And I'm just going to skip right to the end of their, their family bio. Verses 26 and 27, we get the conclusion. It was this Aaron and Moses, this Aaron and Moses to whom Yahweh said, bring the Israelites out of Egypt by their divisions. They were the ones who spoke to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, about bringing the Israelites out of Egypt. This same Moses and Aaron. So in verse 27, we get a little hint of what's coming. Moses and Aaron, they're going to speak. They're the ones who spoke to Pharaoh. So Moses' refusal, it's not the end of the story. We stay tuned for next week for the big showdown. And next week, we are going to tackle all ten plagues in one sermon. And there's a reason. Because all these ten plagues tell one message. Pharaoh's not God. Yahweh is. And you need to know that. So we're, we're going to look at that. But for now, let's draw this to a conclusion. And I want to reflect a little bit more on verses 6 and 7 of chapter 6. There God says to Israel, I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am Yahweh, your God. I said it earlier, but it is really, really important. So I want to close on this note. The purpose of Israel's salvation, it was not ultimately that Israel would just be a free people. No, the purpose was that they would know that Yahweh was their God. Knowledge of God is the purpose, the chief end of salvation. It's what you and I were made for. It is the great end for which we are saved. We serve a God who wants to fill us and fill the whole world with the knowledge of Him. One of my favorite passages, I quoted it earlier, but we see this in the prophet Isaiah's writings in Isaiah chapter 11 verse 9 where he's talking about the the days of the end times. When the the seed of Jesse will be raised up as a banner for all peoples. Who's that? That's Jesus. Jesus, in these days that Jesus is going to be like a, a flag waving over all the nations. Jesus is our king. And those days, which are still to come, they're beginning now as every tribe, tongue, and nation turns to the Lord Jesus. There are people getting saved all over the world, even today. But one day... Isaiah 11, verse 9. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of Yahweh as the waters cover the sea. Yes, in the words of Paul, quoting Isaiah 43, 25, every knee one day will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Yahweh to the glory of God the Father. And that theme of knowing the Lord as the goal of salvation, it runs like a huge river throughout the whole Old Testament. And it climaxes in the Old Testament prophet's, Jer- prophet Jeremiah's words to the people of Israel. So if you have a Bible, I encourage you to go to Jeremiah 31. If you are a Christian, you should know this passage. Jeremiah 31, verses 31 to 34. Some of the most important words in the Bible. The days are coming, declares Yahweh, when I will make a new covenant 
with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt. Remember, that's what we're reading about. It's not going to be like the covenant that I made with them when I led them out of Egypt. The covenant which they broke. Even though I was a husband to them, declares Yahweh. So here God is referring to the fact that his covenant relationship with Israel back then, it was like a marriage relationship. Just like his new covenant relationship between Jesus and the church is like a marriage relationship. So now verse 33, Jeremiah says, This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares Yahweh. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, Know the Lord. Listen to this. Why won't they teach people know the Lord? Why won't they do someday what we're doing right now? (laughs) Because one day in the new creation, they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. And we taste that now. Everyone who's a part of the church of Jesus Christ, they know who God is through Christ. And one day, this will be true of the whole world. Friends, the Israelites who were saved from Egypt, they soon forgot the Lord in the wilderness. And they continued to forget him again and again. Though God saved them from slavery in Egypt, they forgot their salvation because their hearts were still enslaved to a far deeper problem than Pharaoh's whips and bricks. They were enslaved to sin. But Jeremiah 31 verse 34 promises a day under the new covenant when God would forgive their sins and remember their sins no more. And this day has come with the sending, the coming of Jesus Christ and the sending of his spirit. And now all who trust in the Lord Jesus, they are God's special people. All who trust in Jesus know the Lord from the least to the greatest. And all who trust in Jesus are those who have had their wickedness forgiven and their sins forgotten by God. So in salvation, in new covenant salvation, we come to know God and God stops knowing our sin. That's amazing. That doesn't mean that he, that's a way of saying he will not hold it against us. That's the amazing salvation that Jesus has conquered and won for us. But Jesus didn't save us so that we would go on living in slavery to sin and in ignorance of the Lord and to his ways. No, Jesus saved us from our sins so that we would be free to enjoy eternity knowing and loving him more and more. This is the chief and highest end of human life, to know and love God through Jesus Christ. That's why we were made. That's why we come to worship Jesus Christ as a church on Sunday. It's what we were made for, to know Christ, to know his family, to know his word, to know the joy of singing songs to him from hearts that have been forgiven. To know that he's at work in our brothers and sisters and to see them growing and the knowledge of the Lord and to j- rejoice in that. 
That's why we meet during the week to encourage each other, to pray for each other, to grow in our knowledge of the Word and our knowledge of Jesus. Friends, let us be a church who longs to know and who presses on to know the Lord Jesus more deeply. And if you're here today and you're not 100% sure that you know the Lord Jesus, I want you to know two things. You might not know Jesus, but please know this. First, he wishes to be known by you as Savior. Israel would come to know him as a Savior from slavery. Pharaoh would come to know him as judge and as king over all the world as rightful king. Come to know him as Savior today. He holds his arms out to you, lest like Pharaoh, you find him to be a judge again when he comes. When every every knee will bow and tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The second thing I want you to know is that to know the Lord Jesus, it is to live both now And for eternity, in Jesus' own words, we'll close with these. John 17, verse 3. This is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. This is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Let's pray. Father, you are our life. You spoke us into existence by your word. You sustain the universe by the word of your power. And the word of your power is your son, Jesus Christ, the exact image of you, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Father, I thank you that you are the source of our physical life. And I thank you that you died and rose again, that through faith in you, we might have spiritual life, a relationship with you through Christ. Father, I ask that you would stir in all our hearts a desire to know you more fully, to know you is to live. And we thank you for that. In your son Jesus' name, amen.